Wow, what a great morning to be together. Um, really wonderful. And we're especially grateful, as already been mentioned, for our guests who are here this morning. I want you to know right up front, I'm completely comfortable with the fact that you're not here to listen to me, right? I know you're here because of the baptisms, and I think that's incredibly wonderful. Um, because really, honestly, their testimony of faith is really as important or more important than anything that I have to say this morning. But I want you to know, regardless of why, we're he- why you're here, uh, we are j- just glad that you're here. And our hope really is, is that you feel welcome and encouraged. But most importantly, we hope that you encounter the love of Christ in a deeply meaningful way this morning. And for that matter, I, I hope we all do, because really, that's what this day is all about. Resurrection Sunday is the day that hope came alive for all humanity. It's the day that, that Jesus talked about when he says that I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to restore broken relationships. He came to seek and save the lost. And so we are here to celebrate all those things having been made possible because of the resurrection. And so I hope that all of us come to a greater appreciation for what we celebrate today. Knowing full well that in a room like this, there are people who come from any variety of opinions, ranging from Jesus is my Savior to he may not be really anything all that special. And anything in between. There may be some who have been here who've been burned by the church and you're not sure you still believe what you used to hold firmly to. And, and I'm okay with whatever reason you're here. I'm just glad you're here. And I want to ask you to consider what it is, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, that brought you to your conclusion. In other words, what was the basis of your decision when it came to understanding who Christ really is? Because maybe it's purely based on what other people say, which, to be honest with you, was not an uncommon response within the Bible. Last week, we celebrated what the church recognizes as, as Palm Sunday. It's given that name because of events that were written about in Scripture. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Matthew records it in his gospel. Let me revisit it again. This is what he says. He says, When they approached Jerusalem... And had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, I want to pause here because this is kind of an unusual request. Because we know that Jesus has been to Jerusalem many times before this, and he's always just walked into the city like everyone else. But today is different. He asked to, to ride in on a donkey. And, and at first glass, if, that, if this is all you're reading about this story, at this point you're thinking, gosh, to be honest, that seems kind of arrogant. I mean, it's as if he's trying to make a scene here. But what we learn in Scripture is that he was preparing for a scene that has already been made. Because there is a large amount of people who are awaiting his arrival in Jerusalem. 
I want you to listen to how Matthew describes it when Jesus enters into the city. It says in verse 8, Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he has entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Last week, we talked about how the word Hosanna literally means save us now. It's really kind of a, almost a demand. It's an exclamation. It's a, it's, a, it's a phrase or a word meant with great anticipation. So the people in Jerusalem that day were looking to Jesus for deliverance. But deliverance from what? We learn as we look at Scripture that they wanted to be set free from the oppression and struggles that they faced in everyday life, especially in a world that was being ruled by Rome at the time. And and I believe, even though we're separated by some distance and, and time between us, that many of us still look at Jesus in the very same way. We want to be rescued from our circumstances. Whether that's a bad marriage or or a dead-end job or maybe we want to just be set free from the prison of of sin and guilt or or somehow be released from the shackles of, of anxiety and depression. Whatever it is, we just want Jesus to make our life better. We may not be real certain on who he is, but we like the idea of what he can do which seemed to be the consensus of the crowd that day. They were interested as long as they had something to gain, and we know that because their opinions dramatically changed in just a matter of a few days. In fact, the very same people, get this, the very same people who were crying out Hosanna and ready to crown Jesus as king just a few days later were demanding that he be crucified as a criminal. Same people. And we need to ask ourselves, how did their opinion change so quickly? You see, it wasn't because something happened that changed their opinion about Jesus because somehow he was convicted of a crime or or proved to be false in some way. In fact, he had actually gone to trial and the judge stood publicly before this same crowd and says, I find nothing of guilt in this man. He's innocent. And yet they still called out, crucify him, crucify him. Because you see, the real offense was unmet expectations. Which is why their opinion changed so quickly. They wanted someone to relieve them from their suffering, not someone who would enter into it with them. You see, they didn't follow Jesus because of who he was. They were only interested because of who they wanted him to be. And when he didn't meet those expectations, they weren't interested anymore. But there was a different group that gathered in Jerusalem that day who held a different opinion. These men, who became known as the disciples, didn't follow the crowd. In fact, they left everything they had known in normal life in order to follow Jesus. 
they believed that he would, in fact, bring redemption to the world. And they were willing to lose everything in order to gain the one thing he had to offer. They had a front row seat to the miracles that he performed, to the messages that he taught. Instead of relying on the opinions of other people, they went straight to the source to find their answer. They looked to Jesus to define his own identity. And over time, they began to make the connection, learning that Jesus was just, he was more than a rabbi who could teach. He was not doing miracles just to simply gain attention. Instead, all these things were intended to point to his true identity. Jesus was the one who was sent by God to bring redemption to the world. The disciples made that confession when Jesus asked him one day. He just said, who do people say that I am? They had an interesting response. They said, well, it's varied, really. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. And what I want you to notice here is that there was no consensus in the crowd. There's a lot of opinions based really on who they wanted him to be. But the disciples, in contrast form their opinion because of what Jesus said. Jesus asked them in verse 28, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I believe Peter speaks up first, as he typically does, but I believe he speaks on behalf of all the disciples when he says, you're the promised Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You see, they know Jesus came to redeem the world. He, they don't know exactly how that's going to be accomplished, but they do believe Jesus is the long-awaited promised Messiah. That's what he says. You are the Messiah. Because, see, they, they witnessed his power over demons. They saw him actually raise people from the dead. They saw how he healed the, the lame, the sick, the blind. They listened to his teachings with a sincere desire to learn. Their decision was not wishful thinking. It was, in fact, a heartfelt conviction. But again, they, not because they relied on the opinions of other people. They weren't listening to podcasts or streaming on YouTube. They were going straight to the source. And they wanted to know what he had to say. They believed because of his very own words, and the same should be true for us. Our belief should be based not on the opinions of other people, but our belief should be based on what Jesus has to say. Because listen, let's be honest. Today is known around the ministry world as the Super Bowl of Sundays for churches, right? This is when we're supposed to put on our best performance. And as a pastor, this is supposed to be my best sermon of the year. That's not pressure. Right? Not at all. But here's the reality. None of that's true. Because this is not about us. It really doesn't matter what I have to say because I'm not the one who have words of life. But I can point you to the one who does. And that's who we need to listen to. Because Jesus said from the very beginning, he said, I and the Father are one. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see God. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us that 
He, speaking of Jesus, is the, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17 tells us he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus is God incarnate. And he made that clear. Or as Max Lucado used to say, Jesus is God with skin on. And yet Jesus set all that aside, all of his divine rights in order to accomplish our highest good. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, explains it this way. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, existed in the form of God, but did not, in, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made into the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we've been singing about this morning, Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for his sin, for our sins. And he made that clear when he told his disciples. He says, no one has taken my life from me. He says, I lay it down by my own initiative. He goes on and says, I have the authority to lay it down. And get this, I have the authority to take it up again. See, that's what this day is all about. And he actually told his disciples specifically about the events that would occur before they ever happened. He tells them when he writes, when it says in scripture that behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is talking. And he says, the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And he will be raised up on the third day. The disciples heard him say it, and then they saw him do it. Which is why Peter, with such conviction, can say in Acts during one of his earliest sermons, he says, there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we can be saved. And one of the reasons that he can say that is because of what he heard Jesus tell him when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He, Jesus said it a, a different way in John chapter 6, verse 40. Same idea. He says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus Christ conquered the power of death so that we could be given the gift of eternal life. See, Jesus didn't come to rescue us from our circumstances. He came to rescue us from our sins. He didn't come to just give us a better life. He came to give us eternal life. And just like the disciples... We can take him at his word, choosing to follow Jesus in faith instead of choosing to follow the crowd, trusting his forgiveness, relying on his grace, and looking to Jesus as the one and only true and living hope. You see, our hope is alive. The reason we sing about that is because Jesus is alive, and we fix our eyes on him. Now, here in a minute, which I understand is why most of you are here, we're going to celebrate baptisms, all right? 
And one of the things that we do that I think is important for you to know is that we sit down with each individual person to make sure that what I just talked about is true for them. We want to make sure that they believe, not because of the opinions of other people, and in some cases, including their parents. Instead, we want to make sure that they take Jesus at his word. They believe because of what he had to say. Understanding that apart from Christ, we are all hopelessly lost in our sin. But through faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven and our hope is alive. You see, their decision to be baptized is a public profession of faith, is a picture, a symbol of what they believe to be true. Buried with Jesus in his death to sin and raised with Jesus to walk in a new life. That's why Easter is the perfect day to celebrate baptisms together. Because the power to walk in the newness of life is made possible because of the power of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is not only alive from the grave, he is alive in our hearts through the work of his spirit. See, we are a new creation in Christ. Old things have gone, and yes, behold, new things have come. We have been buried with him in baptism, and we have been raised to walk in the newness of life. It's an outward expression of, just like the disciples, a heartfelt conviction. Not because of what other people say, but because of what I heard straight from the mouth of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come that you might have and have life and have it abundantly. I have come to seek and save the lost. I have come so that you might have eternal life. So as I close in prayer, I'm going to ask those who are being baptized this morning, you can go ahead and make your way to your respective rooms, girls on this side, guys on this side. And I'm going to close this in prayer. And as I do, I just want you to allow what we've said to sink deeply into your hearts. And then we're going to close in a, in a really fitting song for today. Um, and I want you to sing it with a great sense of joy and hopefulness because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. So with that being said, let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you so much for this incredibly wonderful day. <laughs> and it is freeing to know that the goodness of this day does not depend on the power of my sermon. <laughs> it depends on the power of your words that bring life and hope made possible because of the power of the resurrection and the work of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives for the praise and glory of your name. That's what this is all about. And so, Lord, I do pray that we sing boldly of that living hope that is made possible by the resurrection. And we rejoice as we see lives that have taken your word and taken it to heart. And that is worth celebrating. We pray this in your name.